Hey guys, welcome back. BDCKR here. We're back with the season nine, episode 40 of our weekly Q&A content. Mm -hmm. uh, and I'm saying that technically correct this time. Oftentimes I say it uh, practically correct for how most people are uh, consuming it, but technically wrong because it's not just a video. When I say it's a video, uh, it wow. can be a video or a podcast. Right. Correct. And if I said it was a podcast, most people would be confused because the vast, vast majority right. of our viewership right. is on uh, YouTube, not on the podcasting platforms. Because we're repurposing the audio track of this in order to just make a podcast out of it. Yeah. Could yeah. could you imagine if we did the same questions twice, but we just <laughs> answered them in different versions and we spent twice as long? That would be uh, funny. Just for this one little bit where we talk about where you're looking at it. Yeah. Um, but anyways, if you're on YouTube, links in the description to access this on all the major podcasting platforms. And if you are on the podcast, uh, you're going to have to go on your own okay. adventure to find us on YouTube. So what strikes me is that there's an advantage to the first take and probably a different thing out of the second take. So the first one has a spontaneity of it, right? Yeah. So to me, that's more interesting. The second take, because you're sort of rehashing the same ground, maybe you actually get a more nuanced take because you think about it a little more after you've had the talk about it for the first time. Or it ends up more summarized because it's not just your first yeah. ramble, yeah. but then also maybe you just kind of move on because you're already done with it. You're already and, bored. And I think you lose some of the, the good stuff when you do that. So we've had to re-record this a couple times and answer the same question. Not this video. Not this video, right, but, but sometimes over the course of doing this, hundreds. There's of been a few times, right? Uh, and I think maybe one time where we lost the whole thing and didn't realize until afterwards, right? Um, and when we've done that, I don't know if we've ended up with something better or worse. We've certainly ended up with something shorter every time, yes, because we don't want to just double the time we spent doing it unexpectedly. It's kind of a a rough way to lose between 20 and 45 minutes just right. into smoke. And I, w I wonder, I mean, part of it is that we spend so much time sort of wandering around, like just sort of feeling yeah. in the topic. Mm -hmm. And that's what you lose because you can't, it's hard to really recreate mm -hmm. that. And to me, yeah. if I was listening to this, I mean, I don't, but if I was listening to this, I feel mm -hmm. like at least as one half of this conversation, that is the most interesting part to me where we get to the ideas of like the journey. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I don't know about that, but anyways, the, the point the point is that you know, if the, the only thing we get from re recording this twice is we get to spend an extra, you know, however long just right. talking to each other, but we would have to have the same conversation twice, which to me seems to over to outweigh any of the potential benefits, right? Because you know, if I'm talking with you, I'd ideally want to talk about you with something that. If That's I've had, the, if I, or even if I've had the conversation, I think there are people, you know, in your life that you tend to have similar conversations over and over again sure. with you have like these patterns, but those are ones that you pick for yourself. Right. Uh, and you get to choose, right. uh, I guess, unless it's an argument in which case, um, <laughs> it, you, you kind of fall into it. But I think, you know, having the exact same conversation twice is probably yeah. not that great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so to start out, before we get into the questions, I would like to give a quick shout out to a game that I played recently mm -hmm. and that I really, really adore. And what's good about this game is that it's totally free. So there's a $0 investment cost for you to try it if it sounds at all interesting to you. And it's a game called Smithworks. It's on Steam. It is, uh, like I said, totally free. And what it is, is it's a kind of puzzle, first-person platformer game where you are working in a smithy and you are creating yeah like a like a blacksmith oh okay and you're creating and fulfilling weird orders for customers and the th the reason why it's so cool is because 
instead of it just being like, I want you to make me a sword, I want you to make me whatever, mm-hmm. all the pieces are broken down into their, their individual components. Right. And the orders are randomly generated. And so they're goofy and they bear very little resemblance to any real weapons. And you are... Uh, you have a very, very limited amount of time to fulfill these orders, and you work with teams of up to four people. And I, I don't recommend this as a solo game. I recommend this playing with a group. And your whole thing is that, you know, the iron ore that you need to put in the furnace is in one area. Mm-hmm. And then the furnace is... Uh, so you need, the furnace is in another area. And then the actual place that you take the bars and you craft them into sort of the metal stuff is in a third area. And so what it is is it becomes each level is a puzzle of who has each job, how are you communicating, who's, you know, taking the orders, is are each person looking at the board to find the orders, or is one person sort of being the communicator when you need more ore? Um, if you were just the person doing from start to finish the ore, or start to finish the leather work, uh, you would be spending a huge amount of time running back and forth. But there's a throw mechanic where you can just huck the resources sort of across the room, <laughs> and it's all <laughs> physics-based. And so what you end up doing is um, have a really complex network of, I am, you know, doing these jobs. I am throwing the ore into the same area, general area as the furnace, uh, and then my friend is taking the ore from the furnace and throwing it into the furnace. Okay. And so you you have to end up basically subdividing the labor in a really weird and granular way and then it all comes together but then when you're actually doing it you have like 60 seconds from the moment the order is placed to fulfill it and so everybody's sort of like yelling at each other there's there's radio chatter and it becomes if you've ever played the game overcooked you haven't but for the audience it's like that it's a it's a really fun party game vibe and it gets very complex and very hectic very fast so you mentioned a physics engine yeah so does that mean when you're playing the game, if you throw something at one of your teammates, you could hit them with it? So there's a mechanic for that, which is if you fall too far when, while you're jumping around, or yeah. if you get clooned with something in the head, yeah. you get knocked out. And the punishment for getting knocked out is you spend three seconds getting up uh, and you are sitting in place. So because this is a game about time and your seconds, um, if you fling it and you crack somebody else in the head then they get knocked out and then all of a sudden your whole pipeline is thrown off their timing is off maybe they don't have enough time and the other thing that's really fun about it is that um the orders will complete as long as you get at least 50 percent of them Mm -hmm. Uh, you need to get half the components or half of the orientation and ordering of stuff right so if you're low on time you can end up shipping a lot of really sort of subpar stuff out the door and they'll they'll take almost anything and so what's i find really exceptional about this is that that's a kind of fun idea but when we started it i had a friend who was like i don't know about this it seems a little simple doesn't seem like there's a lot going on right your friend or the game my friend my friend said friend, about oh, the game my friend, friend about the, the game. one that no. was simple no and not a lot going on <laughs> but with each level they change stuff really quickly okay and so it, it like i said totally free it works really well on steam it's easy to get it running and right. play with your friends. But what's really exceptional and impressive about this was this was actually a capstone project um, of a team of nine people for their university. So this was a university project game. Mm-hmm. And it's not without its glitches. There's little bugs and stuff there. But uh, I was looking at it. I was like, this is... And so it's... My only gripe with it is that it's relatively short. And I don't even want to spoil what happens with it. I'll, I'll give you one piece, which is the tutorial shows you how to like tan the leather 
and how to put the iron in the furnace. And then, you know, the first actual level has that part done for you. And then the second level, you have to do it yourself again. And then the mm-hmm. third level, um, they add something else new. I think it's they add uh, copper ore in addition to iron. Mm-hmm. And so now all of a sudden there's orders coming in in iron and orders coming in in copper. And without spoiling the rest of it, because there's some really wonderful surprises mm-hmm. for what they ask you to do next. Um, mm-hmm. It keeps getting more and more complicated. And without giving too much of a spoiler, there's mechanics that they never explain to you to help mm-hmm. you move and get around the shop mm-hmm. that you can just stumble upon really naturally and organically. Right. And that feels really, really fun. And there was one level that we played specifically where we got to it and we like, I was like, oh my God, there are so many moving parts. There's so much going on here. And we ended up spending, uh, there's there's a time before you start, before you open your shop for the day right. where you get to move around, you get to organize everything, you get to figure Prep out what time. you want. Prep time. And you like can a do, restaurant. And you can do everything except for grab the actual resources. And we spent probably like 30 minutes just organizing our team and walking around and going, okay, so here's like, you know, how we can move around this space. Um, and these are the areas that it makes sense to reach. If your station is this, here's the areas that it makes sense to reach and just like sort of puzzling it out. And it, it felt a little bit like, um, speed running that idea of you need to find your perfect line right you right. need to find what's going to be the most efficient thing except instead of just one person doing it it's a collaborative speed run where the goals right. and the objectives and the lines that each of you take are all interrelated and they modify each other's mm. so i was like going like oh okay i can do this and this and then somebody says oh well if you do these two things then i can do this and this and mm. then it just it fits together in this sort of puzzle and then you start doing it and your whole plan falls apart. Um, and the, the levels themselves are only like five to seven minutes. But the, the planning and the thinking and the moving around in it is really sort of deep and, and meaningful. And so it's, I, I like, it's kicking around in my head. I, we, I, we played it for like one night only so far, a couple hours. I think we're already a decent percentage of the way through the game. It's a short game. Um, right. that, throws a lot at you very fast and it is exceptionally good for a free game it's missing something like the polish right of like it's not glitchless but see and i'll what strikes me from your description was that Mm -hmm. when you said it was a short game but you're getting so much more value out of it in terms of playtime with that preparation right yeah to me in a lot of ways it's like the the preparation for team Mm -hmm. where in a justice where you're thinking about the team and what you want to bring to it and how they're going to interact and what the gears are before you even take them into a fight. Mm -hmm. And so that's the first part that it may be short, but the value of it is more than just the play time. Some of it is like, you know how some games like a fighting game, for example, you, uh, I remember um, Dreamcast and they had um, Soul Calibur Mm -hmm. and you could have a practice mode and that practice mode, you could practice the combinations, but that never felt like fun. Mm-hmm. To me, the way you're describing it sounds like fun, where you're actually talking to each other and making a plan and divvying up responsibilities and stuff. Yeah, it is. And the actual play of it can be really fun, too, because it's it's this really sort of living, shifting, moving thing. Yeah. And sometimes the strategies can be really, really ridiculous. Yeah. Like yeah. I talked about um, that getting knocked out. There's one level. I don't think this is a huge spoiler, but my friend... Uh, there's a lot of vertical traversal. There's up and down. Okay. And my friend realized that to get 
for his line, for his setup, the fastest way to do things was when he was done with the component. Um, a good percentage of the time, instead of tossing it down to me, he would just jump down and come flying down from the rafters and knock himself out right next to me and then just drop it at my feet. Because <laughs> um, so, he needed to do stuff down there anyway. So I'd be like, right. I need, you know... And then three seconds would be faster than... Yeah. Like, knock himself out would be as bad as getting hit with something, right? Yeah. Okay. So I was like, I need a dagger. And he's like, all right, on my way. And then he just go right next dagger. to me. And then right. I'd be like, thanks, I got right. it, and pick it up. And so it's really good. And the, the funny thing is that it was so good that I was going like, where's the money? Because right. I was looking at right. it, and there was no monetization options that I could see. I'm like, how do I give these people money? It's a free game. Mm-hmm. Where's the cash in it? And so I realized eventually that it was that like university student project thing. And so they didn't need to make the money, right? right. That, that time was them going to school. Right. And the it was good, I guess, if people liked it. But I eventually I had to dig around. I dug around for a while because we were done playing. We, it was too much sort of intense focus for us. And we needed to take a break and be done for the night. Mm. But I was on a call for like 30, 45 minutes after just kind of talking about the game and sitting and hanging out with my friends. Right, right. And, um... We eventually found there is one place to give them money, which go to the specifically the YouTube link for the gameplay trailer. Uh, in one of the comments, they have announced that they've released the OST with the music for the game, and you can give them $4 on Bandcamp. And that's the only way that you even can pay them. And it was right. hard to find it. Like, right. I had trouble. Right. Um, I was like, there has to be a way to give these people money. You should link that in the description. Uh, people will be able to find it if they want to. Smithworks gameplay trailer. If you want to give them money yeah. uh, and you play the game, you'll be able to find the way to give them money. Um, but it, it so it's it's a lot of fun. It was made by a relatively small team of students, and I think for what it is, it is exceptionally impressive. Even just for yeah. a game, yeah. it would be very impressive. I would have paid money for the game gladly. Uh, and it, you see, that's the sentiment of a lot of people. There are people in the Steam reviews being like, let me pay you money for this. And there are right. people in like the YouTube comments being like, why is this free? Right? right? And I think you know you've got a good product when people are asking you to give you money. Right? Right. I think that's the best uh, sort of kudos, something Endorse, like that. The best endorsement of, yeah. of, of your product. The other thing that you, I thought about when you were mentioning um having you plan all this stuff and then when it starts it all goes out the window because something goes wrong yeah so that reminded me of a quote and i can't even remember who it was but there's um it's it's some sort of uh, fighting sport where mm-hmm. one of the fighters the coaches said you know everybody's got a strategy until you get hit in, in the, the face. face yeah and it's, it's it strikes me like that like it's that kind of thing where you can plan as much as you want but then there's a a sort of random unexpected um chaos that makes it a little bit more interesting than just because there's more to it than just the plan yeah you have to execute it there's another quote which is no plan survives contact with the enemy right right so people come in the door and the other because the other thing too is that you have all this planning and you have what you feel like is a fair division of labor and there's always slack somewhere there's always somebody who gets to wait around and that person so desperately you know wants to help well because it's fast and it's so easy to screw up or lose an order or be only able to half complete it right and so that person wants to go and participate but then they have to in their head go oh god i don't i know what the machine is how involved was i in the planning of these other people's jobs how well can i navigate to where they are and do their stuff can i help them meaningfully without them needing to slow down to accommodate me we have 20 seconds left until this order needs to be completed is my time going to be better or worse and then when the next order comes in am i not going to be where i need to be so there's this really fun sort of push and pull of right desperately wanting to make yourself busy 
constantly I, I guess and as, not knowing. As long as you're not in one of those groups, like you are, say, in school, those group projects where instead of everybody really wanting help, you've got like a bunch of dead weight and you're trying to figure out a way to so that you aren't responsible for the whole project at the end. That's true. But um, in that case, you, you can do something else with your time. You don't have to play. It's video games. You don't have to play. It's true. And this is a general PSA. I've been playing Valorant, right? Yeah. Um, which is a first-person shooter. And the, the thing that I have noticed is that there are some people in the game who act and talk in ways where I absolutely cannot imagine that they're having fun. <laughs> Uh, there are people who you know take it too seriously and i'm not playing you know high up in the competitive mode i'm playing unrated which is the zero stakes mode right um and i am playing just for fun with my friends and there will be some people who seem so miserable right and i like i hope that they're not i hope that they're just serious and that's how they have fun um i you know and even though you know they might make the game less fun for other people i hope that for themselves at least they're having a good time with it Mm -hmm. but for some of these people i want to like ask them like are you enjoying yourself right now because you know that nobody's forcing you to be here right Mm -hmm. like you know that you could just go and do so many other things with your time um touch grass (laughs) yeah touch grass (laughs) exactly and so every once in a while somebody gets seems just really pissed off and i'm like i I just i can't imagine that you're having a good time so this is my psa for you if you're not enjoying yourself when you're playing a video game yeah uh unless you are like a youtuber or a a professional tester or something like that i i have to assume that you're allowed to stop. Yeah. <laughs> if you want to, you don't have to keep playing something. Yeah. Uh, if you're not having fun with it anymore, so that's my PSA of the day, <laughs> I guess. Because I don't play games, I wanted to mention something else that that uh, some content that I enjoyed recently was Spirited, mm. and I enjoyed it more than I thought I would. So that that's that movie, that Christmas movie with Will Ferrell and Ryan Reynolds, and Olivia Spencer. And the reason why I mention Olivia Spencer, even though I think she doesn't get top billing the same way Will Ferrell and Ryan Reynolds does, is all their singing is pretty spectacular for people who are not known for their singing. Yeah. The songs are really well written. The production values, the choreography strikes me as being something way more than I would have expected from a streaming movie, right? Like, it feels like this could have been in the theaters. Yeah. And it would have done really well as a seasonal um like a christmas movie right it feels exceptionally polished for what it is it feels like they've went way above and beyond what they needed to do to make the kind of movie that it is i was listening to the soundtrack uh and the drive to and from work today Mm -hmm. really enjoying it like it's it's that kind of you know like i'm sometimes you listen to the music and it feels very much like uh, it was done just for the movie. It's nothing special. It won't, mm-hmm. it doesn't hold any, um, not joy. It doesn't hold any value outside of the context of the movie, right? Like you can't, it doesn't bear kind of independent listening. Yeah. Like Mamma Mia. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm joking. Yeah. Clearly for anybody who doesn't get it, Mamma Mia is a jukebox musical where they were using uh, the musical stylings of ABBA. So right. not only was it not only made for the movie, it was specifically not made for the movie yeah. and then just used afterwards. Like, the example I can think of, like Hamilton was totally worth listening to even before we'd seen it. Yeah. It, 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 with The songs were strong enough to stand on their own. And I'm not saying that spirited songs are strong enough to stand on their own, but I, they're strong enough to enjoy them after watching the movie. Mm-hmm. And it brings me back to the moments. And they're, they're really 
well written and mm-hmm. the performances are really great and it, it, the movie strikes that really kind of fun balance between being serious enough so that you can get a bit of like it can give you a bit of a gut punch at times yeah but also sort of self-aware enough that you know you get that little slide nudge and a wink to know that it's not really taking itself so seriously that you can't have a little bit of fun with some of the ideas and poke fun at some of the you know the other christmas movies and the Mm -hmm. sort of the stereotypical i don't know christmas movie tropes yeah it's very cheesy and goofy but it feels um it's also relatively charming i would say oh yeah and it seems like it kind of knows what it is and strikes the right balance yeah because so, initially, I was feeling the sort of cheesiness and goofiness more, and it had to draw me in a little bit. But I think yeah. I ended up, you know, liking it because I think yeah. it knows, you know, it starts with that and you go, oh, is it just going to be really cheesy and sort of nothing? And it knows and it, it's it's good. It's good. It's, it's good for what it is. Yeah, it's if, self-aware. If you look at it and the idea of it seems fun to you, then the execution of it, I think, is good enough to yeah. uh, fulfill its sort of promise. Right. I didn't even know it was a musical before we started watching it. Yeah. Yeah, I was pleasantly surprised. So there we go. Um, So we should do some Injustice content. And it might not even be new because I think it's worth at least mentioning the question we had last week from CJ Hafferty. Yeah, about the 26 missing characters and are they available in the Challenge Booster Pack? We screwed up a little bit. Right. Um, So the total number of missing challenges, 23 missing challenges, they were correct. But because... And the list that we gave you was also the people missing, but the way that we organized the list was wrong. Right, so we had two sub-lists, and we had a list of characters that were not in the challenge packs and not in the challenge rotation, and we also had a list of characters that were not in the challenge rotation but were useful. Yeah. And so we got those mixed up. So to be clear, let's straighten this out. So these are the characters not in the rotation and not in the challenge pack. So that's Aquaman and Justice 2, uh, Batman Gaslight, Batman Red Sun... Deathstroke, Arkham Origins, Deathstroke, Red Sun, Hal Jordan, Yellow Lantern, and Superman and Justice 2. I always get messed up because I'm so used to putting the world or the universe that they're in yeah. first. All right. So the other list was not in the rotation, but they are important. Like they're actually the most effect, most some of the most interesting and most effective characters in teams. Mm-hmm. And so that's Aquaman and Justice 2. Batman Girl Prime. Batgirl Prime. Batman Girl? Oh, Bat- oh my God. All right, Batgirl Prime. Mm-hmm. I was re- looking at the list and I just jumped ahead. So the next one is yeah. Batman Red Sun, uh, Deathstroke, Arkham Origins, Hawkgirl Prime, Superman Justice 2, and Wonder Woman 600. And so there's four of them that are in both lists, right? So that's the two Injustice 2 characters. So the Aquaman and Superman, and uh, Red Sun Batman, and Arkham Origins Deathstroke. And two of those however, are available, two of those four are available in alternate packs. So Batman Red Sun is in the Red Sun pack as a random drop uh, of, you get three out of six possible characters. And Arkham Origins Deathstroke, where he's part of that Arkham pack, either the straight up combination that comes with uh, Arkham Harley Quinn and Arkham Origins Batman, or as a random drop in the other, the better Arkham pack that actually has Arkham Knight Batman in it. Yeah. And so we've already read the list last week or i should say i read the list incorrectly but just so that all the correct information is all in one place do you want to round that out and finish reading the list of everybody's not, not available you know, in the challenge pack? i don't know i think we've spent so much time talking about not new stuff i'll put that in the description it's a okay. list of stuff okay and then people can see all that 
Okay, that sounds to. good. Okay. Yeah. So our uh, first question, that is our first piece of new content that one of you actually asked us for yeah. this week, is from uh, Belly Tug, Tug with two Gs. And they say, got a question. You two are really well-spoken, and I see how you touch on a variety of topics like science, economics, etc. Just wanted to know how you two become, sorry, became so knowledgeable about so many things. Basically, how did you get so smart? And so this is funny, because... Yeah, you're, you're, you're stroking our ego a little bit, so thank you. It's very, very yeah. kind of you, but... But it's an interesting question independent yeah. of that. Mm -hmm. And so it's th there's some terms that people use interchangeably that aren't really the same, and I'm going to pull them out of the, the original question. So uh, Belly Tug talks about smart, knowledgeable, and well-spoken. Mm -hmm. And it's really easy to conflate some of these things, whether it's the actual meaning of the words or even just the impression you get from the people that have these qualities. Mm -hmm. And I think the, the sort of the broadest, the most generic and the most um, ambiguous term is the smart part. Yeah. And because I think different people value different things when it comes to your, I want to use a, a sort of a neutral term, your ability to think mm -hmm. and there's different aspects of it. So, to me, there's the first part to really pull out that the, where you mentioned is the well-spoken, right? So well-spoken, yeah, I think it has very little to do with actual intelligence and it has almost everything to do with practice. And I also think being well-spoken, a lot of people will mistake for uh, knowing a lot of stuff right. for being good. I think because um, how you speak is the main way that somebody else interfaces with your ideas mm -hmm. uh, a lot of people will see a well-spoken person and go that person knows a lot and it might just be because you're better at communicating what you do know or even if you're not great at communicating what right. you do know that you're better at sort of tricking people into uh, thinking that you know more okay and those are that that was the that aspect of it was, was going to be my two examples right mm -hmm. so to me a, a really good example of that is jordan peterson mm. where i think uh, under this, if you put his ideas under just even a little bit of scrutiny, they fall apart a little bit. Yeah. But then you have people who really are stands, like Jordan Peterson stands, yeah. who really appreciate what he says, and they are, contort themselves into these pretzels to explain why somebody who espouses the idea of, well, you need to have clarity of thought, you need to communicate clearly, and they're excuse for him is well you need to have the context of watching his four-hour video which mm -hmm. to really understand the point he's trying to make and it sort of really defeats the whole purpose but i think they're, they're so convinced by his ability to speak yeah that they don't recognize the they're willing to overlook a lot of the inconsistencies in the message yeah he's an effective speaker with a strong understanding of rhetorical devices right and that's rhetorical in the sense of rhetoric uh, as in like building and constructing like an argument. Right. And that makes him really dangerous because he can say a lot of stuff very convincingly, regardless of sort of the actual factual content right. of right. it. And can, can I tell a little bit of a personal story? Sure. So when I graduated from university, I took an Uber down. Um, and so the, fir the first thing that happened when I got in the car is my Uber driver thought I was graduating from high school um, <laughs> and asked if I was planning on going to university. Um, and then the uh, second thing, which I liked even less than getting mistaken for a, for a high schooler, was he uh, started talking when I mentioned I was uh, 
in a psychology program, he started talking about uh, Jordan Peterson. Favorably. <laughs> Favorably. Yeah. yeah. And so uh, a significant percentage of my ride uh, from where I lived to uh, where I was graduating, which was like... The convocation. An hour the, away. Like the yeah. ceremony. Yeah. Was um, discussing Jordan Peterson right. and his stuff. And so I didn't want to be disrespectful. I didn't want to look down on him for liking Jordan Peterson. You didn't want to get kicked out of the Uber and be late for your own I graduation also, ceremony. I also don't think... I think if you're judging somebody for liking somebody else, yeah. you have to be careful about sort of taking them in good faith, right? Right. Because I think it depends a lot on, and especially with a figure like Jordan Peterson, I think it's more complicated because he has a lot of self-help stuff, right? which is, from what I've heard, I haven't read any of the text myself, but I've seen a lot of breakdowns of it, and there is some maybe potentially problematic undertones in some of what he's saying, but a lot of it is kind of just self-help stuff, right? Right. right. Uh, pretty, you know, across the board. Pretty, pretty bland, where you strip away all the sort of trappings of it. Yeah. And relatively basic and fundamentally, like, they're not bad. Advi- it's not bad advice. Completely, it's advice right? for, it depends. It can be good advice for depending on the type of person you are. Right. And I think that some other, of it, the other like thing is parts yeah, of it. Yeah. A lot of self-help stuff is inherently very individualistic and very sort of Western, right? Mm-hmm. The whole idea of like self-help um, and being like, you are going to take this and fix yourself. Right. Um, a lot of it doesn't involve sort of that community support and collectivism stuff. Right, right. And so that obviously uh, is sort of vaguely related to what Jordan Peterson does, but it's a whole other ball game. It's like the super mild version of like Jordan Peterson's more extreme, like individualistic stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we talked and I was like, you know, I, I acknowledged the things that Jordan Peterson is really good at being an effective speaker or whatever. I uh, pushed back against some of his views. We talked mm-hmm. about, you know, um, a lot of how he's talked about trans people, yeah, right? And so yeah. that can be a really sticky subject because a lot of people will argue that he hasn't said anything sort of directly against trans people. Or people used to make that argument, right? That he was arguing when he was talking about it of the right for freedom. people to not use the correct pronouns right, and whatever else. Right. And so we, you know, we talked about it in those terms. And the, the problem is, I think, as it's gone on, it's become increasingly clear that his views are just transphobic. Um, you know, we talk about when he got suspended from Twitter, uh, the whole mm. thing with uh, Elliot Page and that whole uh, largely incoherent sort of video um, talking about his tweet and breaking it down uh, that really displays sort of like a fundamental lack of like intellectual curiosity. Because mm. um, a lot of the questions that he's asking, like rhetorical, impossible questions, like it's all very, very complicated, are actually very easy to objectively answer right. uh, in no <laughs> uncertain terms. Um so we had all this conversation. I go, you know, I just, I have a hard time taking what he says at exactly face value and not extrapolating it to the real harm that he could do to trans people. Uh, and right. we, we talked and I, I, it was not a super fun conversation, but I'll give the guy credit is that he also was like, you know, yeah, I don't want anybody being sort of hurt for just who they are. Right. right. He was at least verbally not transphobic right. and he could get behind the idea of you know things that are damaging to trans people right. uh being bad like as humans right separate right. from sort of the the criticism of the community as a whole which i think is its whole other issue right still transphobia but um it's i think easier to not look at like the human cost when you're talking about transphobia towards like trans people as a group versus like trans individuals 
where you're looking at it abstractly instead yeah. of how it affects real people. And by the end of the conversation, uh, when we moved on to talk about other things, thankfully, uh, he said, he was like, yeah, I think the problem with him is that sometimes he'll say something and I don't really understand exactly what he's saying, right? I know how he's saying it is very convincing. Right. Uh, I know that he's a really strong speaker and he's making references to all of these things. It seems like he's basing it off of this huge body of knowledge, but I don't, I can't really follow him. So I, I just, I, what I end up getting is just what he says. Right. And you kind of just have to take him at face value because you don't get the exact process there. Right. You just kind of just have to take his word for it that the things that he's saying is true. Right. Um, and, you know, I, I think on that day, I made somebody slightly more critical of uh, Jordan Peterson, which I would call a win. Right. So that's that's my personal story with that. Yeah. And I guess maybe we don't necessarily need to pick on specifically Jordan Peterson, because I think the kind of mentality uh, behind that, or it's not mentality, like that aspect of what people see as being smart mm-hmm. is very much the debate club mentality, right? Mm-hmm. Where it's not so much the content that matters, it's the presentation, the construction of how you display these ideas yeah. that matters the most, which is has is completely independent, I think, of any kind of knowledge or intelligence. It really is just practicing very specific communication tools. Yeah. And yeah. so, yeah, I, I think yeah. for that, very few people start out really eloquent and well-spoken. Right. And it's just sort of your exposure. And it either happens to you passively yeah. Or you choose to seek it actively. And I think, you right. you know, Toastmasters Club, there's a lot of different places and resources you can right. go to right. that will help you become a better speaker. And for us, I don't know how good of a speaker we are. We're, we're yeah. sort of, we're operating on the assumption that what this person said about us is true, right? They yeah. want to hear from us. They want to hear well, our opinion about it. I won't so. say that we're objectively good. I will say that over time we've improved. And I think it's, again, it's... It, in weightlifting, it's called time under the bar. Mm-hmm. Like you just put in your time, stuff will get better. Will yeah. it ever get good? I don't know. I don't, again, I, I I wouldn't listen to us if I were the audience. Yeah. But I think we're definitely better than when we started. And it's also not necessarily across context. So part of the reason why we're well-spoken for these videos is because we have a huge amount of practice doing specifically these, these videos. videos. Right. So this, what you are seeing here is our home turf. Right. This is other than just normal conversations with friends. But this is something where we have to come in and be a little bit thoughtful about what we're saying, how we're saying it. Right. uh, Making sure that we're not sort of making fools of ourselves where there's um, recorded evidence in a digital footprint. Right. Right. And we're doing our best not to seem silly. Right. Um, And so. But it's also part of the reason why we're doing this pseudonymously. I don't know. I know how to spell it. I don't know how to pronounce it. (laughs) Like under pseudonyms, because really we don't want these, this kind, basically it's practice, right? Like it's hours and hours of practice. We don't, I don't want this associated with my real life um, persona, my real life, just real life period, I guess. Yeah. So that's, that's the thing, I guess, is I think this is the place where we've had the most practice mindfully speaking. Right. And so this is where it comes across the most. You have the most opportunity yeah. for growth. And I think the mindfulness of purposefully engaging and putting in, even if it's a small amount, a little bit of effort. Uh, right. So it's a little bit of effort plus practice, right. I think, is right. really uh, what you're seeing here. That's right. 
that's the formula for for these results if there's yeah. something that you even want to pursue well i didn't expect this to go so much into the first aspect because there's yeah. i think i've got had notes on three at least three different Let's aspects all right so the second part we should go through fast it's being well educated all that is is money and time the threshold of being able to successfully complete higher education is very low in terms of mental capacity and I think it is the more important part that people run into trouble with is having the time to put in and the money to commit, whether it's directly tuition or the cost involved in just living while you're attending school and focusing on just that. Yeah. And also having the appropriate support resources. Yeah. Um, you know, if you can do school on your own schedule, right? There might right. be a certain like volume of work that is like inaccessible to you. Right. But, but there's, there's for most people, uh, some combination of resources that would allow them to successfully complete well, higher education. That's what I mean. I, I've, I've sort of put it all into one bucket. To me, it's yeah. all money. Yeah. Like if you have enough money to throw at a problem, I think you do it. If you need a place to stay, if you need food to eat, if you need time off work, all that kind of stuff where, yeah. you know, work is, it, it really is what allows you to live. Mm -hmm. And if you can manage your living expenses and your living situation, then higher education you don't have to be that smart to get through, uh, yeah. to get a degree. So you talked about being well-spoken, talked about being educated. Right. Uh, the, I, and sort of separate from education. And I think something that's commonly sort of lumped in with it is just being informed. Yeah. Right. To sort of have an idea of what's going on. And I think that's sort of li limitless, right? Like th there's, you can become well-informed in one aspect and it's very easy to remain poorly informed on a lot of different things. And, the way you get over that, I think, is just be interested in what's going on in the world. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, the other thing is that you are here hearing <laughs> only the things that we want to talk about. Right. And so we are talking about the stuff that we know about. Right. So, you know, for for all you know, 100% of our information, 100% of our knowledge of the world is contained in exactly what you hear here. And we know nothing else, you know, yeah. outside of that. Yeah. And so a lot of people will go like, oh, you know, it's easy to, to hear somebody talk about something they know a lot about and just go, oh, you know a lot, right? Right. right. But you don't know the stuff that they don't know, that you know. Correct. Everybody's got a different set of knowledge. And when you are hearing people on an uneven playing field like this, where we get to pick the topic, we get to pick right. everything. Right. And then you don't even get to respond. You don't get to go, oh, what about this? Um, except for asynchronously, where we have the chance to, if we want to look it up, or if we don't feel like we have anything to say, just not answer it. Right. This is very different from a normal conversation with a person where you would, all of you as listeners would probably be able to have a follow-up to something that we said that we would have no clue how to Right. address that we would go it, huh i don't know that's interesting i don't know anything about that it feels very much like say a dinner party conversation to me if i wanted to find an analogy in the real world mm -hmm. because you can if, because there's like a critical mass of enough people that you can just jump in and participate at the moments that are interest to you or that you have something to contribute to yeah. and the rest of it, you can listen quietly and while you're listening quietly you can still appear intelligent because you're not saying something dumb about something that you know nothing about yeah or that you're poorly informed about. Mm -hmm. So that's that's being informed. And that, I think a lot of that is just, yeah, how interested you are, how motivated you are yeah. to go out and find information. And we're both kind of nerds in that way, where we will um, consume a lot of content in our free times uh, about... They just is a 
ostensibly like educational content, but educational in like a relatively sort of non practical well, way. I think that's more you actually. I, I I I'd like to pretend that I do a lot of that. I think part of the, my problem now is that the work takes up a lot of time. No, but you and, you still and, do. You will go, oh, I read, I saw this thread on Twitter, or you'll talk about, you know, you're like, I read this like article on like the protagonist problem. I think oh, you, that's true, actually. And all of that stuff is like educational. You might just not so. consider it that way because that's... it's what it is, is you don't think about it as learning because you like it so much. So you're doing, you're consuming literary educational content and you just think huh. about it as book stuff. All right. I got to think about that. I'll, maybe I'll come back to that in another time. I think it's very easy uh, to not consider what you're if you like it enough to just think of it as a hobbyist instead of actually educational but you are still picking up knowledge there all right let me let me stew on that for a while yeah anyways uh the last aspect i had in my notes was the in terms of being smart is cleverness and something independent from the previous three things so in my mind cleverness is making connections understanding uh, stuff quickly mm-hmm. and this aspect of it is least affected by effort i think to me this is sort of the most innate part of i guess intelligence or smartness or whatever people want to call it and i think the problem is in isolation it may look kind of neat mm-hmm. but it's not very useful because cleverness without context and cleverness without information mm-hmm is just, you know, like a shiny object. It it, it 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 looks neat, but it's like some of those other aspects where I guess each of them is kind of like that. Like if you're really well-spoken, mm-hmm. you're not saying much. If you're really clever and making connections between things, but you don't really have much to say. And if, y- yeah. So, so like each of these, all of them together, I think, can make somebody, um, you can create somebody, not create somebody, but somebody who's really intelligent, I think has aspects of all four of those. And they're not always valued the same way. So that you can sometimes have somebody who to one person might appear really smart, but to other, somebody else might appear just very shallow. Yeah. And so I would actually push back a little bit on you saying that being clever is sort of the least affected by effort. Because I think in a lot of ways, cleverness is pattern recognition and pattern generation, pattern extrapolation. And that is totally something you can train. I think it is just one of the hardest things to learn. And for a lot of people, you don't know where to start. I think it's one of those things that we feel like is innate, but it's, you know, like everything else, it's this combination of nature and nurture. And for, you know, intelligence, um, as like a broad thing, you're talking about this as like sort of what almost feels like the core of like what is intelligence if intelligence was like an innate quality that was possessed by a person instead of this like malleable thing. I can agree with that because I think definitely those first few things we talked about are much more uh influenced by mm-hmm. effort like you can just if you have the resources and put in the time you can improve all those other three really easily i've never seen anybody with a structured way of teaching somebody to be clever but i think you know you can look at pattern recognition if you do puzzles right i think you can look at like lateral thinking puzzles and there's there's new ways of sort of organizing <laughs> how you think i i one of the things that i kind of learned um, you, you sometimes learn when people are asking you questions that they're meant to be tricks when the answers are non-obvious mm-hmm. or when your gut reaction is likely to be wrong. Yeah. And if you are given those types of questions, if you know that's what you're expecting, if you go, is this is probably a trick 
and you have to work backwards. I think that's a way of like training yourself. I think when I did, um, you know, in university, I studied psychology. And I think sometimes I got used to people asking me questions a certain way and mm-hmm. they would be tricks when it, it seemed like it was unrelated to sort of the content that mm-hmm. I was learning. Mm-hmm. And I, over the course of it, got better at going, I bet this is wrong. And then, you know, with a greater frequency going, I bet this is wrong and I can guess what the real answer is. And then also I can start thinking about why. And I wasn't always right, but sometimes I was. And so I think, you know, that if we're talking about cleverness and connections and drawing sort of new conclusions, I think you would would say if somebody asks you a question and you have a gut reaction and then you're able to then sort of uh, evade their trap, right, of falling into the easy answer and finding the, the real answer just by thinking it out in your head, would you consider that being clever? No. No? So the reason, I guess... The examples you gave about lateral thinking and those sort of puzzles and stuff, mm-hmm. I feel like I'm trying to think of an example where the ability to recognize those sorts of patterns actually taught you something that was that you could apply in other areas. So I see so, so those mind bogglers or whatever. Yeah. And I, I got really good at seeing those questions because a lot mm-hmm. of them were structured the same way, but yeah. I, you can't apply that kind of insight mm-hmm. into situations that aren't mind bogglers. Yeah. But to me, what I think is what you do is those types of things. I think a lot of those questions are very similar and a lot of them aren't applicable outside of it. But what the process of learning how to answer those questions are is the ability to learn a new type of pattern and address and fix a new type of pattern. And I think a lot of times being clever is just being able to sort of do that on the fly faster. So I think really... Um, it's more about exposing yourself to new situations that follow a set of rules, a new set of problems that often has a similar pattern of solving them. And instead of just learning that one really good, is being able to do that in a new context. Because what what are you even defining ah, as cleverness? Right, so that's, that's key. Do, it's the context. Is learning a different pattern in a different context and applying it quickly. To me, that that is it's problem what, solving. Yeah, it, it's another way for me to uh, talk about problem solving. And I think the problem solving part where you're actually good at it isn't by doing something so you can i guess make it you can appear to be better at problem solving mm-hmm. when you've got a depth of experience that lets you pull examples mm-hmm. the really clever people are able to make those jumps without having had the experience yeah and so, so i think there is some difference in the way that your brain is connected like one of the things um for example uh, something that I know a little bit about and I don't know how like hard science this is and how much of this is just like a mix of like sort of biology and theories right so mm-hmm. don't take this as like like gospel don't take this as like pure fact but with like ADHD one of the things um, is that you're supposed to have more synaptic connections you're supposed to have uh, and the idea is that you often uh, prune those as you uh, you know get older and as your your brain develops and the pruning of it is supposed to make it so that your brain processes happen more efficiently right but the lack of pruning means that you are able to more easily um link different regions and Mm. make those connections Mm. and so the the trade-off is an efficiency of processing and maybe an efficiency of um sort of focus potentially Right. right 
Um, but the value is an increase in connectivity, which is supposed to lead right. to increased creativity. And then in some places, those kind of like bursts of inspiration where you're pulling things together that, you know, a less connected brain would struggle to do. And See, so okay. it's a, it's a difference in function that creates, you know, benefits and challenges like any okay. other sort of way of being organized. So there, there might be like a physical, like a brain sort of cleverness it, that you have. It's like the difference to me, it's like the difference between the express bus and the regular bus. So express bus gets faster and gets you where you need to go, mm -hmm. but there's fewer stops available to you. But for those stops, you're really good. Yeah. It's a better ride yeah. and you don't waste, spend so much time in transit. And then the other bus has more stops. So you have more choices and more opportunities but wherever you end up going will take you longer. Mm -hmm. um, but you're also getting the opportunity to go to stops that you would have missed on the express bus. So if that's how we're talking about cleverness yes. is like a fundamental like connections model, then yeah. I will say that it's possible that people are more or less clever. But we also know that, you know, you have a lot of neuroplasticity. So you can, it, I, I'm, not, I'm not saying I know how to do this, but I would say that we benefit uh, from not assuming that intelligence is a fixed tree. And there is research showing this, that if you look at intelligence as something that can be changed, uh, mm. you will do better in tasks that you perceive as intelligence-based. It'll make well, you yeah, give up uh, less. Yeah. It'll, it, you'll okay. end up, you know, if you, if you think you can get smarter, you will. And if you don't, then you'll, you'll struggle. But I think that has more to do with like less to do with intelligence than it has to do with just general motivation, right? Like people say this in working out. But then what they is intelligence? Only, well, this is this is the the question, right? That we're trying to break it down into elements, and I think it's people define it differently. Mm -hmm. And I think these are all aspects that people, somebody out there, looks at it and will say, "This is what intelligence means mm -hmm. to me," whether it's by itself or in its totality. Mm -hmm. and I think I think that encompasses a lot of. I, I don't know if we've missed anything. Mm -hmm. But I think this encompasses a lot of what people consider intelligence. And I think the, I guess the originally when I pulled this question, I was thinking to put it together as an answer as a lot of what people see as intelligence is just time. Mm -hmm. And the only element of intelligence that is less affected by time, mm -hmm. but isn't nearly as valuable as some people might want to hold it up to be because somehow it's innate. Like, you know how when people yeah. think about how if certain things are innate and some people have and some people don't and it's hard to teach mm -hmm. that they value it more mm -hmm. and i was i guess the point i was originally trying to make was so much of the stuff that we value as intelligence by itself isn't that valuable without these other elements and the one part thing that's hard to teach seems like it's not nearly as important as the things where it's just a matter of putting the time mm -hmm. so all the things that i think belly tug in terms of as far as the question they're asking and mm -hmm. in terms of how they're framing it to be a little bit complimentary, right? That mm -hmm. you do really well. I think a lot of the stuff that belly tug values in us has less to do with any of the innateness and has more to do with the time that we put in so that it really looks like, well, not just time we put in, but like you said about how we control the environment yeah. and the process so that what our output is, is what we choose. So the part, the thing that we choose to do, Mm -hmm. looks better because we picked it to be something that we were good at. Yeah. And so can I leave us with one thing? Sure. This is another sort of, this is a nerdy thing. This is, this is something that will uh, potentially make me sound smart. Okay. <laughs> and and like what, what okay. this is, is this is, I, I want to say that uh, our whole sort of conceptualization and evaluation of intelligence is overrated. And I'm going to give some context to that. 
uh, that I think will make it sound more official. I'm going to appeal to the authority. Of? So the person who initially invented the intelligence test yeah. uh, was a man called Alfred Binet. And I knew it started with A. I knew his last name was Binet. Full disclosure, I had to look up his name to make sure I didn't screw it up for this. I was just going to say A something, and I wasn't sure if it was like Albert or Alfred, but it's Alfred Binet. Um, and I did a project that involved me, you know, reading some of his initial works right. and uh, sort of how he conceptualized intelligence testing. And this was done for the French uh, school system. Uh, and his the initial test was created to evaluate whether or not uh, kids were getting a standardized education. So basically the idea is that if you have a curriculum in schools, right. you give the kids a test on the curriculum. Right. And if there's like a school that's doing poorly or a student who's doing poorly, something's gone wrong. They wanted to make sure that they could give every student the same curriculum and leave them sort of with the same knowledge right like going through the school system would give everybody the same thing right and so equal he, footing yeah so he made this test and the test was not meant to say anything about the children it was meant to show it was who, a test of the system it was a test of the system right. and if there was underperformance uh it meant that more resources needed to be allocated to either those children or right. those schools right. Or if there was an issue with the teachers. And it was not meant to be applicable across context. It was meant to be in a school context. And it was not meant to be broadly applicable to sort of everything everywhere. Right. It was meant to be for the school. It's not for adults. It was for kids in this particular school system. Yeah. Right. And he's, and you know, when you look at how he talked about it, uh, the more sort of progressive, modern, psychological understanding of what an intelligence test is bears a lot of resemblance to how alfred benet was talking about it way back when he first made it mm -hmm. and so one of the most common intelligence tests is still the stanford benet uh or sorry wax wesler benet something sorry there's a something benet intelligence test so his last name is still on right um one of the most common intelligence tests today. And if you look at how the guy who made intelligence tests initially intended it to be used, he did not want it to say anything about the person taking it. And specifically, the whole reason why it was there in the first place was the idea that it could be addressed, that any gap in the education could be fixed. It wasn't um, so that, you know, we would say this person is bad at school, this person is not smart. It was this person needs something else than what they're currently getting to be as good as everyone else. Right. So the whole point was that everybody could end up in the same spot with a difference in sort of care or time or resources applied to them. Right. And so when we talk about intelligence and when we talk about intelligence testing, uh, even when we say, you know, I, and it's, I'm not saying that people don't know more or less about different subjects. And it's, I'm not saying even that there aren't people who just broadly have a wider base of knowledge. Or even that people can acquire that ability with less work than other people. Yeah. But when we talk about intelligence tests, I mm. think it's critical to think about how it was initially meant and how a lot of people right. are trying to talk about it today, which is that it's something that can be changed. Right. And the, it's an indication of where you are right now. Right. And so I think it's not useful to talk about intelligence as a property of somebody, as a trait, where right. you're either smart or not. And in a lot of cases, I think the vast majority of cases, I think when we're talking about intelligence at all, how smart somebody is, we're doing sort of a disservice to both that person and everybody around them because mm. it breeds complacency. It makes you feel like you are right. who you are and where you are and how you are. And I think we should always be looking to, for the stuff that we value, get better. And so I think 
intelligence tests are reductive, being smart is reductive, it's all overrated, and uh, I can't speak for him, but I think the guy who made the tests uh, seems to broadly agree with me. So that's 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 my sort of closing thought here. That was very smart. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> it was you know what it was very um, profound. I think it's funny if you were looking to get at something sort of bigger than what we normally do with this. I think you got there. Okay. That's very meaningful. Well, I, well, I'm happy with that then. Uh, to finish up, I'd like to give a shout out to Eliza Gregorian Monk Caton. She spends her day studying the natural sciences instead of engaging in traditional human activities. Um, and this shout out was brought to you <laughs> by what? by a poor work life balance, uh, nominally in the pursuit of truth, but practically in the pursuit of a larger paycheck somewhere down the line. So is it, I know there's a negative connotation with it, but there's got to be something more po- more positive way of saying touch grass, right? Like there's then just to... she she wrote the gregorian monk one herself okay um i added it to make it slightly more um channel appropriate less uh, offensive less offensive but uh <laughs> but she was the one who's saying that she doesn't you know get to live her normal life anymore because she's studying studying the natural sciences what is normal what is okay maybe this is this is t- maybe for another topic we've already spent way more time than we were planning on yeah this is a there. long one folks yeah but man the the idea when people talk about normal mm-hmm. is something that i struggle with so much every day mm-hmm. anyways so there we go and we'd also like to give a huge thank you to the folks who support us on patreon i'll let you take that one away that would be bumble ben console peasant and ed Woon at the top tier last word cinemac and Mohammed Al-Bashadi, the Your Message Here tier. Sean Farrell, Daniel Simonson, Aaron Mall, Michael DeVries, Brandon C., Irvin Ruiz, Eddie Du, and Hoshi127, supporting us on the credited level. And Chris Wolf, Scarlet Danny, Awesome Gamer 2 for 1, Pavu RS, Gavin Malat, and Isfra E at the gratitude level. Thank you so much for watching. Thanks so much for, uh, thanks so much for your support. We'll see you next time. Komoda. Komoda.